Tired of ads interrupting your gripping investigations? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Ads shouldn't be the scariest thing about true crime. Start listening by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash true crime ad free. That's amazon.com slash true crime ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to Crime Land. My name is Julie J. And this week, instead of the lovely Sophie Shanley, I have the equally lovely... Fred Cook. <laughs> Yay! Joining me while I'm kind of on maternity leave at the moment. So it's handy just grabbing the person in the next room, isn't it, Fred? Yeah, we're, as we all know, we're living together, but we're in separate rooms and still talking. So nothing new. Nothing new. Nothing new. This is just a regular Friday for us, isn't it really? Um, but I think, no, and I have to apologise because the last time you were on, Fred, and we were talking about the son of Sam, that Sam I actually, del- I didn't tell you this, but I deleted the podcast. It was up for a few weeks and I just said the audio was so bad, we're deleting it. So we have, I think, overcome those technical difficulties. Yeah, you can hear me all loud and clear. You're perfect. Okay, so this week, because Fred loves nothing more than talking about true crime, we're discussing the murder of Karina Homer. Now, before I get into this story it's a really interesting story and it takes place in boston in the states in the mid 90s i just want to give a couple of shout outs to people who've gotten in touch about the podcast and who were so lovely so amazing so big shout out to christine to megan to ashling to david and to connor who've all gotten in touch to say that they're really enjoying the podcast so thank you so much for getting in touch guys now Okay, Fred, let me tell you about this one. Before I get into it, I just want to quote our sources here. So various sources for this one. Um, so the, the one one that I thought found really, really good is one called chillingcrimes.com. There was another one called uh, Vicky Writes, which is like kind of a blog. And it's a really, really good, if you're into true crime, it's a really, really good true crime box. That was another one I used, Trace Evidence, philosophyofcrime.com. And I also used wgbh.org. And of course, as ever, dipped into a bit of Reddit 
we don't really credit Reddit as a reputable source, but it is maybe good to just reference them because from a true crime point of view, there's always some interesting interpretations and stuff to be found on Reddit. Okay, so will I get straight into it, Fred? Let's go, Pat. Okay. Yeah. No. So, uh, by the way, Julie and I were, were engaged, so when I said Pat there, it's not just that I'm being over-familiar. So, okay, honey. <laughs> Already trending on Twitter. Uh, it's over, Fred. I'm sorry. Okay, so uh, Karina Homer, she was 19 in 1995. No, 1995, Fred, for you. You would have been 15? 15. I would have been first year in secondary school. So into Blur. And uh, Oasis was just starting off. So it was a great time in my life. And, you know, I, w- I was going to say you were breaking hearts left, right and centre, but you did go to an old boys boarding school in Cavan. Exactly. So that probably wasn't the case, I was, break- was it? I was breaking teachers' hearts for academic reasons. <laughs> okay, so 1995, Karina Homer was 19 years of age, beautiful young woman, born and raised in Sweden. And so she was after obviously finishing school um, the year previous and she won $1,500 in the lottery. So the national lottery, she had like a little bit of a win, which, you know, in 1995 terms, like this, this, this is, Sorry, the Swedish national lottery. This is the Swedish okay. national lottery, yeah. So she dabbled in the lottery, won $1,500 and decided, you know what, I've always wanted to travel. So she applied to be an au pair in the States. And she got a job very, very quickly with a couple in Dover, Massachusetts. So Dover would be like a suburb of Boston. Yeah. Now, Dover, really well off area in Massachusetts. So it's it's probably like the equivalent of Dalkey in Dublin, like very fancy spot. And the couple she was working for were very much like real upper middle class artists, wealthy and held in high regard. So the couple that she ended up getting the job with and um, the guy's name was Frank Ratt, and he was like a photographer. And then Susan Nietzsche was his wife, who was a painter. So, like, I mean, real kind of, you know, artsy fartsy kind of type people. Yeah. And they had two kids. So basically, the deal was that she was going to work during the week, minding the kids and like doing the housework, doing the cleaning, stuff like that. And then she would have the weekends off. So that was the deal that they had. Yeah. Now, Frank, who was obviously the husband here, he had a loft downtown. So he had this loft in the city where he would do his photography during the week and Karina would stay at the loft at the weekend. So it's kind of unclear. This was the arrangement they had. But it's, you know, you would presume that Frank wasn't there at the weekends, but it's unclear. Like, was he ever there when Karina was there? You know, it's, it's a little bit... It's a bit of a grey area. So ostensibly the deal was that she would have this space to herself in the city at the weekends because he wasn't using it. But, you know, who's to say, was he ever there at the weekend? You know, we, we really don't know. But he had this space. Obviously, she's 19 years of age. She's going out. She's having the crack. She's obviously going to avail of this offer. But you'd wonder, wouldn't you? Absolutely, yeah. Well, it's... Do you know, if Chelsea had an instinct of trust in this couple, 
Maybe, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I suppose it's just the thing of because this space was kind of separate to the family home yeah. and because Frank used this space, and we'll get to Frank a bit more, you know, in, in a little while, but yeah, you would just hope that she was just there on her own and like using it for social purposes and all that kind of thing and that Frank was at home with the kids and with Susan at the weekend. So that was supposed to be the deal. Now, by the summer, she'd been working for this couple for a few months. Now, obviously, this is the 90s, so nobody is calling home. Nobody's doing the mobile. Obviously, mobile phones weren't around. Like, it was all letters. It was quite old school when it came to correspondence. So by the summer, she had been working, uh, obviously, for this couple for a few months. And she writes home and she says, do you know what? I'm just not feeling this anymore. She says that it's way more work than she had anticipated and she's going to come come home early. So you often find this with au pairs, don't you? That like the au pair is ostensibly supposed to be just looking after the kids, but ends up doing everything mm. like cooking, cleaning, the like the whole shebang. A bit like me, only joking. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Just like you, you my little Swedish au pair. Um, but no, she, she did say that in the letter. She was like, it's way more cleaning than I had expected. Like she just was not happy with the amount of work she was doing. So she writes home and says, look, I think I'm going to cut this trip. I think I'm going to cut, cut this trip a little short and come home early because I'm just not happy with like the job itself. But then she sends another letter. So she sends that to her family saying, just letting you know, like I'll be back a bit earlier. But she then sends another letter to another friend saying, now wait for this. So she says in the letter, something terrible has happened but she can't tell her what it is. She'll tell her when she gets home. My God. Yeah. So she says, so to her family, she says, look, I'm coming home mm. early because I'm just not feeling this job. It's not what I expected. It's way too much work, too much housework, et cetera, et cetera. But to the friend, and you know the way you're always going to be a bit more open to your friend yeah. than your family, especially when it's like via written word. She says, look, something terrible has happened. I can't tell you what it is now, but I will tell you when I get back. Mm. So that was actually really what was driving her to come home. So the big question is, what was the terrible thing? Yeah, sorry, baby. Yeah, you know yeah. what? So what is what is the thing that's going to? What is the thing that's kind of forcing her to, you know, make this decision? So anyway, she sends these couple of letters home. And then she does have, I mean, in Boston, you know, she's certainly not lonely because she has a very active social life. There's a huge au pair community. I mean, do you know as well, it actually got me thinking this case about, do you remember the Louise Woodward yeah, case? Yeah, I remember that as which well. Which I would have yeah. done on It was around the same time as well. It was. It was yeah. around the mid-90s, but it really kind of cast light on, you know, the au pair culture in certainly the states but specifically boston so there there was like a huge au pair community it was a very big thing you know that like wealthy couples got an au pair from europe in and there was a huge specifically swedish community there as well so she had a really active social life she had loads of friends and she was dating a little bit as well so she'd obviously kind of settled into boston quite well she was dating some kind of ran a random guy from Boston that I couldn't get any information on. And she was also 
Um, following that, that was just kind of a short little a little thing. And then she was even seeing a police officer for a little bit. So she, you know, she was enjoying her time in Boston. Now, Friday, June 21st, 19, so Friday, June 21st, 1995, her and her friends meet up at a downtown loft. So this was kind of what they do on a Friday night. They finish work. They'd all meet, have a few drinks before they headed out for the night. So they met up on June 21st. Do, do, do we know anything about June 21st in terms of Sweden? It's long, is it the longest day of the year? Oh, wow. I'm falling in love with you all over again. Yes, it's the summer solstice. It's, lo- it's so the longest course, day all over the world, really, isn't it? So Yeah, it's well, it's, it's, a, yeah, it's a really big deal. In, well done, because you know what? I actually wouldn't have known that until I started researching the story. And I was like, oh yeah, it is the summer solstice. I have a reason for knowing that, that there was a Radiohead played in, in the RDS on the 21st that day. And the, the event was called The Longest Day. So, oh wow! Oh, that's when was that? That was that's in ninety eight, nineteen ninety eight. No, I was allowed to go, and I couldn't afford a ticket. So, uh, so, but I remember that day. I remember sitting the at 19th home. <laughs> I remember sitting at home that day. No, when everyone else went to Radiohead. Anyway, that was ah, Fred, and you would have been eighteen. Exactly, so yeah, would you not yeah. have had your own money from working and stuff? Yeah, I just couldn't, just couldn't get the money together from work that I was in. Like so. That is tough. Well, that's, that's, that's you know, a crime land. I was going to say that's a crime in itself. Exactly. I have to get onto your parents now about that. Yeah. That's clearly this is still affecting you deeply. <laughs> so yes, so <laughs> June twenty first, summer solstice. Of course, like this is a huge deal in Sweden, where they're in pitch black darkness for half the year. The summer solstice is actually, which I didn't realize, but makes total sense when I was reading up on this, that it's the biggest holiday in Sweden because, of course, it's the longest day mm. of the year. So it's this huge thing, the equivalent of Paddy's Day for us. So the friends, her Swedish friends and herself all met up in this downtown loft again because there's not a lot of information on this case, it was unclear, like, was this Frank Rat's loft or was it just somebody else's loft? I don't know. But they met up and they had a few drinks and then they all headed to Zanzibar, which was like this cool place to go, probably the equivalent of, I'm trying to think of where the young people go these days. I mean, it would be the equivalent of like coppers or maybe dices. Apparently, it would get like a lot of kind of, you know, it get a lot of foreign nationals going there. Yeah. Billy so Dion has a song it, about it, Zanzibar. Oh, does yeah. he? Would it be? But, but I would imagine, is it the Zanzibar? Is it the country rather than the bar he's singing about? I think it's the bar. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But, so Billy Joel sang about this specific bar in Boston. Yes. Okay. But it, this was like the cool place to go for, you know, obviously the au pairs, etc. And Karina was wearing a very distinctive outfit. So this will prove important because when people talk about sightings of her, she was wearing like really, really shiny silver pants. So very 90s, but very distinctive. So, you know, if you saw somebody in these pants, you'd probably remember. So she was wearing a very distinctive outfit. She goes into the Zanzibar with all her mates and she, because they've, as well, of course, like like so many of us, they've been drinking before they've headed out. 
She gets very drunk and between two and three in the morning, she leaves the bar. So it's kind of unclear, like, why she left the bar. One person said that she had fallen asleep in the toilets. We've all been there. And the bouncer kicked her out. Someone else said that she went out with an older man. And someone else just said that she left of her own accord, just kind of left the bar to get some fresh air or something. Uh, now, so this is between two and three in the morning. The bouncers then deny her entry back in. So they wouldn't let her back in, which, of course, I mean, for, you know, I, you would hope that wouldn't be the case today. But like when it comes to safety and a girl on her own, it's just leaving somebody in a very vulnerable position yeah. when they're outside on their own. Obviously, she was probably saying that her friends were inside, but she wasn't being allowed in because she was too intoxicated. Um, so she was left outside on her own. Now, this is when things get a little bit murky. So she was seen talking and dancing with a homeless man and also seen talking to a man who was... So this guy, he had a big white dog, big white dog. And the man and the dog were kind of well-known because they were they were often seen hanging out mm. in this area around this time at the weekends and they were also very distinctive looking because they would always wear matching Superman T-shirts. Yeah. So another witness said that Sorry, she was seen wait, talking. The dog, the dog was wearing a T-shirt. <laughs> the dog would be wearing All a matching right. T-shirt uh, with this guy. So yeah. this guy's name was Herb Whitman, but I'll get back to him in a minute. So he used to hang out like around this time at the weekends, you know, probably realistically, let's face it, looking to chat up women who, you know, come on, we've all had a few drinks in us. Everyone loves a dog in a Superman t-shirt. So obviously this was a way to get women's attention. So this was probably some kind of chat up technique on his behalf that he would just turn up with the dog and the dog's wearing the t-shirt and, you know, it's a way to get talking to ladies. So another witness said that she saw Karina talking to a group of guys in a silver car. Now, nobody else actually came forward to say that. But this person did say, oh, yeah, that girl, I saw her talking to this group of guys and they were in a car. Hmm. Somebody else said then she had that she had been seen walking alone down a street that kind of ran parallel yeah. to this street where Nancy Bar was located. And at about four in the morning, somebody else said that she was seen outside a 24-hour shop. So she was kind of hanging out on her own. And this was supposedly the last sighting of Karina Homer at about 4 a.m. on the Friday night outside this 24-hour shop. As you know, Crimeland is part of the wonderful podcast network that is Headstuff. There are some fantastic podcasts on this network that you might want to check out when you're done listening to this episode of Crimeland. And here is one that you might want to check out this week. My name is Stephanie Preisner and my podcast is called Basically with Stephanie Preisner. And I have guests on every week who explain things to me because they're experts and I'm not. We've had people like... Pascal Donoghue, the Minister for Finance, explain what it's like to be the Minister for Finance. We've had on Taoiseach, Micheál Martin, explain what it's like to be Taoiseach. Luke O'Neill explained the coronavirus. Uh, a nurse explaining what it's like to get coronavirus. And then loads of things that aren't related to coronavirus at all at all. Like politics and being a child actor. 
If you like finding out about things, listen to Basically with Stephanie Preisner. So Sunday afternoon, so this all happened on Friday night, June 21st. Sunday afternoon, there's a news broadcast. So the the news broadcast this story that the body of a blonde woman had been found with a fake ID. So that this young blonde woman had been found and she was in possession of a fake ID. So Frank Rath and Susan Nietzsche, who were Karina's employers, they ring the police straight away and say, oh, this actually might be our au pair. Which some people then construed as a bit strange because obviously Karina, based on their arrangement, was kind of nowhere to be seen for the weekend. So they wouldn't have expected Karina to be in touch with them because she didn't come back until Sunday evening. So some people kind of thought, oh, it's a bit odd that they jumped to the conclusion a body of a blonde woman has been found. Oh, that might be Karina. But then other people said, okay, well, maybe they were just being super cautious because they knew that she wasn't 21, so that she'd be going out without a fake ID. Yeah. And maybe, I don't know, know maybe, where would you stand on it? They might have been expecting her over the weekend as well, you know what I mean? Or they might have. Not yeah, well, I mean, well, actually, that's true. Like, maybe she said she was going to be back early. Yeah. I mean, she usually didn't return to the house until the very end of the weekend. Yeah. But, I mean, maybe they did have some arrangement like that. But some people did find it a bit fishy that they automatically jumped to that conclusion. So a homeless man had been digging through rubbish. And he had found, so this is how they happened upon the body of this woman. So he finds this black kind of refuse sack containing the full, wait for this, the full torso of a woman. With just a torso. That's horrific. Awful. So the police are alerted and they examine the body and discover that she had been completely cleaned, including which they found very strange that her makeup had been removed. So, it like her, they, I mean, obviously her body had been mutilated, but her body was pristine in terms of like cleanliness, yeah. that it was completely clean. Um, and the body had been strangled and cut just below her ribs, so kind of severed at the spine. Mm. They felt that she may have been alive for up to 24 hours after uh, she had been last seen because they quickly quickly identified this body as Karina Homer. And they worked out, I don't know if it was based on rigor mortis or what, but that they were, or the bleeding maybe, but they worked out that uh, she could have been alive for up to a day after the fact that, you know, in terms of like, say, maybe even up to Saturday night. So the police didn't have a lot to go on because this was a secondary scene. So it was very clear that she hadn't been killed in this area. There was no blood whatsoever. They obviously looked, you know, through the dumpster and the surrounding area. They couldn't find anything really of note. And it was very clear that she'd been killed somewhere else and that her body, this part of her mm. body, had been dumped in this area. And like the really sad thing is, is that the rest of her body was never found. Yeah. So it was just really like awful. So obviously the police looked the employers first for information because there I suppose effectively the equivalent of, say, her family or her next of kin within the States. Yeah. So they looked at looked at the employers first, but the employers were extremely uncooperative. So Frank and Susan kind of 
went straight to the lawyers and they were like, look, you need to speak to our lawyers. They weren't very forthcoming with information, which some people might view as suspicious. But at the same time, you know, they do have that right to kind of not cooperate if they don't want to. And also maybe they felt that the police were kind of casting suspicions on them and they didn't appreciate it. But either way, it's just very much accepted that they really, really did not help the police Mm. out more than they had to. Was the right to remain silent, wasn't it? Well, yeah. I mean, I don't know, did they go so far as pleading the fifth on things, but they very much kind of shut down and they were not very forthcoming or cooperative at all with the police. And then other nannies had come forward. So other au pairs and other nannies had come forward and said that they had found Frank really creepy. Right. Yeah. And again, it came back to like one of the questions which Frank and Susan refused to confirm. They It came back to whether or not Frank had had any form of relationship with Karina. But again, they wouldn't confirm or deny anything about that. So they were just very closed shop about the whole situation. So Monday evening, obviously this is all taking place and the body has been discovered on Sunday. Monday evening, which this was kind of a strange coincidence, there was a dumpster fire. So kind of behind Frank and Susan's house, there's this dumpster fire. The police come along because the neighbours are like, there's this dumpster that's on Mm. fire beside this couple's house. The police come along and examine the dumpster, but find that there's no evidence they feel worth processing. However, it's often referenced, again, like on the likes of Reddit and stuff, that this is a bit of a strange coincidence that a body is found on the Sunday and effectively, like, the, the dumpster beside this house goes on fire the following day. Yeah, yeah. So a lot of people... <laughs> is that the cat yes. in the background? I hear Molly. <laughs> Hi, Molly. connected it up. Ronnie's putting it all together. Thanks, Ronnie. Okay, so, so but but it is a strange coincidence. Absolutely, yeah. You would yeah. think burning something incriminating, but they went through everything. Now remember, this is the mid nineties, so DNA testing isn't wasn't what it is now. But they didn't find anything. But people were like, "That's a bit odd." Mm. Yeah. So, you know, they they thought it was strange, but again, they had nothing to go on. And at that point as well, um, just to say, so I guess the employer, Susan Nietzscher, she has, as I've already said, she's a painter. And, you know, saying so the years since the murder, she does have her own gallery. She has her own website, which I think has actually since been closed down. But in the years after the murder, again, attracted a lot of derision because she would have done a couple of kind of strange paintings which would seem to point to the Karina Homer case. So, for example, she had this one painting and it was of a woman being held upside down by a man. Mm -hmm. And it almost looked like the woman, you can find this now online as well, Mm -hmm. Um, but it looked like the woman was dead or unconscious. And then in the background, there's like a woman in the shadows and she's kind of almost comforting Mm. the man. It's just a very strange picture. And then there's another picture um, of a woman who looks very like Karina and she's kind of pushing a man away as well. So again, you would say, oh, maybe a little bit distasteful because they're clearly pointing to the Karina Homer case. The flip side being, I suppose you could say... 
you know, it probably was a big event in their lives and something maybe she wanted to explore creatively. Yeah, yeah. But a bit spooky. Yeah, she's probably just going on what her her, her artwork was a was a, a an expression of public opinion, as opposed. To well, yeah, this is it. It's not necessarily pointing to exactly, any guilt yeah, at yeah. all. But so they basically kind of shut down. Didn't have anything really to do with the police. I think didn't appreciate you know people casting suspicions and aspersions etc on them. But the police just got nothing from there. So, again, you know, it's not, you know, it's not the paintings, etc. wouldn't necessarily mm. point to guilt, but it was just something people found a bit strange. So in terms of looking at other suspects, the first was obviously this guy who would hang out outside Zanzibar in the Superman shirts with the dog. So they found him straight away and his name was Herb Whitman. Mm. And Herb lived about a half an hour from the scene. So he lived in Andover, which was North Boston. And he, what he claimed, even though he lived like a good half an hour away from here, that he would often walk his dog at this time of night in this area, which was corroborated by multiple witnesses. And now again, I would think, I don't know about you, but I would think that was probably kind of a pickup technique that he was, you know, hanging out. Obviously a lot of intoxicated young women and stuff would be hanging out in this area as well. And it was probably a way to get talking to, women i would imagine like what would you think i don't know absolutely like uh it does feel like that definitely to be uh, i know well i i, I suppose he can't say for exactly, sure yeah. that would be my feeling it's a uh, yeah i mean if there's a if there's a pattern if there's a pattern to it that he's always in the same places at the same time do you know like, yeah no one ever sees this guy at one o'clock in the day <laughs> Super yeah do you know yeah i just feel yeah. i feel like that was probably what the dealio was there but the night this night anyway that he'd been seen talking to karina homer he had actually gotten a speeding ticket on the way home that night and the police quickly dismissed him as a suspect because they said no he can't be a suspect because we have evidence here that he got a speeding ticket. Now, my thinking on that is that's not necessarily an alibi yeah. because she could have been in the boot of the car. Like, you know, his car obviously wasn't searched. I mean, if it's just a speeding ticket situation, yeah. I'm sure the car wasn't, wasn't searched. And also, according to their own forensics, Karina could have been alive for up to an, an, up to a day after her you know her last sighting so for me I don't think it is a solid alibi no but at the same time the police said very quickly oh well no like you know he did get this ticket so it just wouldn't add up that he would have committed this terrible crime and and she met loads of people that night of reference yeah I mean like why is it why 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 is there concentration on and I guess because he's a man as well like and I don't know well, I guess because he's a man, but also, you know, he was seen talking to her. Yeah. And he was one of the last people to be seen True, talking to her. And also, I do yeah. think, I oh, no, no, not at all, because it's a really good question. But also, I do think hanging out in this area at this time of night, to me, it's a little bit dodge anyway, hmm. because it's it seems like maybe, not that you're trying to take advantage of women who are intoxicated, but it just, I mean, it could be all innocent and maybe this is his way of being social. Yeah. Maybe it's actually got nothing to do with picking up women, but it could be just his way of being social, yeah. you know, in his defense. But either way, 
we'll never know because approximately a year after Karina's death, Herb committed suicide. Right. Okay. So, I mean, in terms of other suspects, there were very few, really. There was a guy called John Sweet who had lived close to where Karina had been found. But realistically, there were absolutely no links whatsoever to this guy. And actually, if you look up on a couple of the true crime blogs, they reference him. Really, his only crime was that he was a bit of an oddball. Uh, He was in a grunge band, which wasn't that unusual for the 90s. But people just thought he was a bit strange. And I mean, there were no other links whatsoever, but people just thought he's a bit strange and he doesn't live too far away from where the body was found. So there really wasn't much to go on there at all. There was another guy called Gene McCollum and he had killed and decapitated a man and a woman (sighs) from East Boston the following year. So they looked at him as a potential because obviously with the mutilation element, but again, they just said, no, like it's, it's not, it's not adding up whatsoever. And then, of course, there was the police officer. Mm. So, you know, the way I said she'd been seeing this police officer. Yeah. So this was something that people kind of keep returning to. She'd been seeing this police officer. And again, this guy's identity was never revealed to the public. But he kind of, he was immediately ruled out. Now, the police didn't actually tell people why he was moved immediately ruled out. Um, And his identity has never been revealed. So it's very hard to ascertain Mm. why he was dismissed from the get-go as a possible for this. I mean, maybe he had a rock-solid alibi. Who knows? But they just said from the get-go, no, it couldn't have been him. But, I mean, I guess looking back on what we know now, especially about 90s police corruption, it's probably something that would be worth pursuing. Mm. Mm. No, definitely, yeah. Yeah. The fact that he's still... If he hasn't been questioned, has he been questioned or? Well, you see, they just gave no information on it whatsoever. Like he could potentially have been questioned. He could have a rock solid alibi, but nobody knows because his identity was never revealed. And they never actually told the public why they ruled him out straight away. They just said there's no way it could have been him. Which isn't that satisfactory, is it? No, so of but course, even, because, even if he didn't do it, he's got information on other stuff. You know what I mean? If they're in a relationship, like she's she's obviously. What you'd imagine? Yeah, yeah, and it's it's very unclear as well. And again, because you know this was the mid nineties, so there's no text messaging. There's it's very hard to kind of trace the mm. relationship. It did seem like it was a casual enough kind of relationship that they had had, but it's very unclear. You know, were they still seeing each other at the yeah. time of her death? Had the relationship ended? Had it ended on good terms? Like, nobody had any information on this guy. So surely he's somebody exactly that that you'd want to talk to. Absolutely, yeah. So, of course, because this was the mid-90s, there is no CCTV, there's no text messaging, there's no footage um, which would point to what happened to Karina. Her family in Sweden are still waiting for answers. And of course, especially what we know now about, as I said, police corruption, etc. It would be fantastic if they did look at this case. There has been kind of a resurgence of interest in this case of late. So it would be wonderful if they did reopen this cold case and try to retest DNA or something. Um, Although given that her torso was completely cleaned, Mm it is probably quite unlikely that they could retrieve anything from that. But it it is 
a very sad case, very strange, very, very little information. She did in her letter that she didn't write more to her friend. But I at the know, same time, it's and, great that she did write that letter because it just kept a, a, a palpable interest in the whole thing. Like, Yeah, and I think the thing was I, a lot of people come back to that letter and something terrible has happened. So a lot of people yeah. kind of felt did something akin to a sexual advance or a sexual assault or something mm, happen? Mm. You know, usually when a young female refers to something terrible, it's like, sadly, it does often involve something like that. So you would wonder, and especially because she didn't want to elaborate in the letter, would it have been something like that? You know, would that have played a part in her murder? If it was the case that something had happened and that the person was scared that she was going to tell or she was going to say something. Yeah. It's, it, it, the letter is key because the terrible thing none of us ever discovered, obviously anyone involved in this case, um, uh, you know, me saying none of us ever discovered. I mean, I only have very minimal involvement in this because I've only been reading up in it the last couple of weeks. But for me, it would point to something like that. That would what my intuit. That's what my intuition would say. And then you wonder, did that play a part in her death? Yeah. But very, very sad. And obviously, I mean, we're talking about it happened 25 years ago. So hard to believe yeah. that 1995 was 25 years ago. You know, it's still not too late for people to come forward if they do have information. Very, very sad for her family, obviously, as well. And you do wonder the fact that she was Swedish. Yeah. You know, maybe was there a little bit less interest because she wasn't an American national you know, you don't you don't know really, but it's it's a really tragic case. Hopefully they will find closure on it. It's really not too late for people. I mean, certainly a lot of the players here, like they're still alive, people still have information. So it's never too late mm. for people to come forward. And we do hope that the her family get closure at some point. And that is the murder of Karina Homer. Is that Molly Mia? That's Molly, again? yeah. She wants to get out. Drop the letter out. <laughs> You know okay, something. You so know something. Molly, tell us. I feel like this is Lassie. It's like <laughs> Molly has all the answers. Molly, what's your theory? <laughs> so listen, Pet, thanks so much for getting involved. Uh, you're very, very good. Oh, thanks for having me. Okay, Molly, what is happening? That cash. My God. Okay, listen, you let the cash out. I'll send this off. Love you, babes. Okay, bye, 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 Pet. Love you. This podcast is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. Tired of ads interrupting your gripping investigations? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Ads shouldn't be the scariest thing about true crime. Start listening by downloading the Amazon Music app for free. Or go to amazon.com slash true crime ad free. That's amazon.com slash true crime ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.